The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider podcast where we take you behind the scenes of possibly at the moment the busiest football magazine in the world. Um, I'm publisher Andy Jackson filling in for uh, editor Paul Hansford who failed a late fitness test and in other words that means he's next door uh, desperately trying to get our World Cup issues out on time. Uh, Joining me in the pod today is Deputy Editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. And our web guru a newly shorn Kevin Ayres. What's your mate? Has just walked in with a, with a ridiculous romper stomper hairdo. <laughs> Got old soccer hooligan stereotype. Yeah. Which is excellent. Maybe we should all do a skillhead for the World Cup. Thoughts? Yeah. I'm all up right. for it. Anyway, before we get on, get on from hairstyles to, um, to two nil-nil draws, unfortunately. Asian <laughs> Champions League. We'll try and get through this as quickly as we can. Um, I was pretty happy with it because I backed draws in both games, but... Not really much football on display, Kev, was it? No, nah, somebody said on Twitter, it makes you wish you were one of the bodies in the barrels when it came to watching Adelaide. <laughs> it was, uh, it sucked the life out of two, two different outcomes, though, for the two sides, Trev. Obviously, um, the nil-nil draw was enough to send Adelaide through. Um, Melbourne wasn't enough, they needed to win, so Melbourne drop out. But um, Adelaide through to the knockout stages again, so you, you think that they're... It's a good result for Adelaide, not so good for Melbourne. I mean, that is a great result for Adelaide, really. Um, I thought they were going to lose. So I had a funny feeling that Pang Steelers are a good side, do well in this tournament. Recent winners, aren't they? I believe. Champions. Yeah, defending champions. champions. Defending champions. So I had a funny feeling that they might turn over Adelaide there. They might get found out a little bit. So no, I mean, that's a good result. It may, may not have been the prettiest. Galekovic was busy, wasn't he? Plenty of shots heading his way. So you know, As he has been all season, though. Well, which is why he should have been goalkeeper so, for you. Not that I'm bitter that. or anything. <laughs> There it is. Um, and yeah, victory was their chance to sort of, you know, the excuses before, weren't they, of the A-League finals, and this was their chance to, to put a lot of that right, but, you know, it wasn't an enjoyable game to watch, was it? Yeah, you get the feeling that from the pitch to the coaching staff to the stands that no one at Melbourne Victory has really enjoyed this Asian Champions League campaign. Kevin Muscat certainly Kevin Muscat's uh, ran at the end of the game last Mate night. It was quality. He enjoyed it. I mean, what's the word? Psychotic? No, no, passionate. <laughs> passionate, that's it. Uh, no, I mean, he was just, he was fed up with it. He's made it sound like the Battle of the Somme. The body's everywhere. Um, no, I mean, the heart and soul's just not been into it. And yeah, you can understand why, because they've never been able to field the, their strongest team. Uh, it's always been a patchwork, hodgepodge, whatever we can put on the field team. Yeah. If under those circumstances you're never going to show your best, you're never going to make be made to look good. Instead, you're going to be made to look very, very poor, and they have been. Mm. And Trev, six thousand well, at Dockland Stadium. You know, I mean, for the best supported club in the uh, in the league by some distance, you know, that's a really disappointing crowd again. You know, and, and a do know, or die game. Yeah, you know, they needed a win to stay alive. You know, you would have thought that. That they'd be there, but obviously the, the Champions League's got some way to go uh, off the pitch as well in terms of grabbing people's imagination. So, I mean, if that was an A-League game that they had to win to make the finals, twenty-five thousand, it'll be probably. packed. And you, you know, the little side story of Joel Griffiths coming back. I'm not sure. Obviously, not back to Melbourne, but coming back to Australia. I'm not sure how interesting that would have been. But still, you just you think at least double figures, don't you? And that's got. A, okay, that's got to pass down to the players. You know, if the fans can't be bothered, yeah. You know, but I mean, the players will Off the top of my head, I don't think Melbourne have had a great uh, history of midweek crowds. You know, some 
some of the clubs have had great results with midweek games. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne are one of those that it just doesn't seem to appeal to the fans for some reason. Uh, and yeah, it will, it will all uh, come down to the fans and they'll either the players and they'll lose their interest in it as well as a result. But you know, must-win game. I don't think anybody on paper ahead of that game really thought Melbourne were going to win. Uh, I think a scoreless draw is probably about as good as anybody could have expected in advance, which is why you won on the bet. Yeah. Okay, well, moving on. Uh, obviously, we wish uh, Adelaide luck in the knockout stages. Moving on to the Smallins action, which had a distinctly Australian flavour with, um, with Tim Cahill bagging two goals, unfortunately. A little sod. Surprise method as well. Oh, he got his goals, on it? Two-headed goals against Villa. <laughs> supposedly one of our strengths, defending set pieces, but not today. Uh, wasn't enough though for Everton for the second time in two games David Moyes is going to be uh, unhappy with them in that, that twice they've surrendered a lead again um, it was an own goal as well which is always a bitter pill to swallow isn't it? yeah I mean it, it, was an own, it wasn't you know you call them own goals because he got the last touch but you know he's got to try and get something on there it's a good ball in uh, it's not like he's sort of you know steered it past his keeper from eight yards with his foot you know he's got a flick off his head but uh, Trev the big game, mm. Spurs. First win over Arsenal in 11 years in the league. Yeah. Um, Arsenal missing a lot of key players, aren't they? And they've looked a little bit brittle in recent weeks when they had the easiest run in and they were well in the tile race only a few weeks back. Um, Tottenham, that sort of reignites their chances of getting fourth, but they've got such a hard run in. I mean, they host Chelsea next, and then is it away to Man U, then away to City? Um, so I still think Tottenham will miss out on that fourth and, and Man City will get it and it just sort of confirmed Arsenal's um, you know, title hopes are open but what a cracking opening goal as well from, yeah. from, from Tottenham from who? was it as Rose? It, yeah is it Daniel Rose? so I was like who the hell's that? where's he been all season? Um, Kev from an Arsenal perspective you'd probably say that that puts them the, the title with, it, with out of reach for them but the big question mark or the big what if for Arsenal was, you know, as soon as Van Persie came on, they looked like a different side, you know, and, and Gomez really kept Spurs in it. He made three or four saves in the last 10 minutes. But, you know, the question mark would be, and what's your thoughts, if, if Van Persie hadn't have been injured, would Arsenal have, have won the league this year? Well, you know, it's a strange one because I remember at the beginning of the season, we had a long, long chat about whether they were even going to make the top six this year. Uh, I think Arsenal have way overachieved uh, on what was expected of them and you know they're only now performing at the level that I expect to see them perform all season long uh, the fact that they're doing that with so many injuries and now got a few players coming back like Van Persie um, you know I think it's good to see but you know if uh, Van Persie had been there if they had had a recognised striker available for every game during the earlier part of the season it'd have been a lot tighter up at the top mm. and certainly Dutch Dutch fans the world over will be uh, looking at that with um, with great joy and the fact that you know Van Persie looks like he might get four or five games at the end of the season just to tune up nicely for the World Cup exactly and they'll have a few games before the World Cup and then you know Holland will be a team looking to win it so you could argue that the group stages again are, are further warming up for the knockout stages so yeah hopefully he should be um Fresh and match fit by the time the knockout stages come. Okay, um, other games: Wigan, Portsmouth. I think Wigan. I, I just like to say I think Wigan might go down. I think they're really? a real chance to go down. Yeah, they've they've 
got someone really tough next week. They've got you know Arsenal or someone like that. Then Arsenal, at, but they're at home. Yeah, they are. But I mean, you know, that Portsmouth team was really cobbled together. And then they go away at West Ham, which means three points. Well, I, I think well, that's what I mean. I think we'll, I think we'll, I think we'll do them at home. <laughs> I think we'll do them at home. I, I, I think you're gonna. I'd, I'd be very surprised if the bottom three changes between now and the end of the season. Kev, have thought on that? Hopefully yeah, not I pretty much hard. agree on that. Uh, Looking as bad as each other, really, isn't they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, Portsmouth putting out the team they did, didn't even have a reserve goalkeeper on the bench. And the uh, funniest thing for me was watching the whole Burnley, was, was the whole play as bad, you know, as the, um, Burnley played as bad as they did the week before when they got tonked by Man City and beat Hull 4-1. You know, they were, they were as awful as they were then. Yeah. Um, the Chelsea game, obviously Chelsea... That's not the right score, is it? No, it's no. not. No, I mean, uh, Chelsea <laughs> won 1-0 the previous evening to, to go four points clear. They did it at a canter, really. Bolton worried them a little bit when Owen Coyle put an extra man up front, but before that, Chelsea pretty much had the measure of them and, and were comfortable winners. Yeah. Is it Chelsea's title, do we think, now? It was theirs to lose, yeah. I mean, it wasn't an emphatic victory, and that's what we've seen from them from in recent weeks, so that's why a few people are raising eyebrows that perhaps even though they've won, it, it wasn't the performance of champions, but look, all they had to do was win, and it's rarely pretty when you play Bolton, so that's a good result, and yeah, I, I can't see them not winning the title from here. I mean, they've got to go away to Tottenham, which is you know probably a tough game, but... They should be okay. The last time they won the title as well it was with a series of 1 0 wins like that. Yeah, well, Mourinho was famous for it, wasn't he? He's now sort of taking that to Inter. It's the the fact that uh, we now look at a 1 0 win for them as being ordinary as a testament to Ancelotti's job. Ancelotti's job. Yeah, and then you look at Man United over the last couple of seasons before that, you know, they, they, even with players like Ronaldo and Rooney, they they were still capable of grinding out 1 0 wins and then went for a big period of that. And you've got to do that. If you're going to win the league, you can't win every game 5 and 6. No. 5 and 6 nil. So the other big game from last weekend that's probably just worth a, worth a note would be um, the Clasico uh, at the Bernabeu which uh, Madrid went down 2 nil to Barcelona. Obviously billed as the, the Messi v Ronaldo showdown and you'd probably say that Messi won by a knockout. <laughs> the, uh, it, I mean, the, that's always an interesting match but actually the most interesting thing I saw this week was um, that crowd that are hailing South Melbourne FC as uh, Oceano Club of the Century yeah. uh, the IFFHS people um, they also do the biggest clubs in the world ranking right. system I just happened to look through it and uh, Real Madrid are way below Fulham and uh, Shakhtar Donetsk I have no idea how they put these things together but it <laughs> did worry me sounds, sounds a reliable source that, doesn't it even Fulham are, Fulham are even above Liverpool scores <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, the classic it was a strange game, wasn't it? It wasn't how it looked or felt that you thought it was going to go at all. It was almost English style, wasn't it? Real Madrid trying to get stuck in, but Real Madrid looks so disjointed. And in terms of their recruitment, they need to think less about marketability and more about what fits into their team. You know, i.e., they haven't signed a world-class defender because he won't sell as many shirts as someone up the other end of the pitch. And that's exactly what they need. Um, and I hope over the summer they'll probably get a new coach. I can't imagine Pellegrini will be there next season. Um, they need to get a bit more balance there. Yeah, and, and that, I mean, you, you've got to say that that probably signals the end, whatever little chance there was for Pellegrini. Kev, his successor at, um, at Madrid? Oh, God knows. <laughs> I can tell you it's probably not going to be Rafa Benitez. Uh, I mean, I, I can't believe uh, anyone would look at Rafa Benitez. I know, Juventus seem to want him. Yeah. For life of me, I can't understand why. 
And the other, the other disappointing news for Barcelona and for Spain, but probably, in, you know, reassuring news or, or hopeful news for other clubs with a view of uh, other nations with a view for the World Cup is Iniesta seems to be struggling to come back from this injury. He's ruled himself out for the rest of the season. And that would, you would think, put a massive question mark over his uh, fitness for the World Cup. And if you couple that with Fabregas missing as well, all of a sudden Spain's midfield is, uh, is potentially without two of its star players for the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, the, the number one ranking with FIFA is very dependent on one or two key players, I think, to be honest. Well, four key players for them. Uh, and if you take any of them out of the equation, then I think Spain are a much, much weaker side. Yeah, and the interesting thing, obviously, uh, which, which, will, which will hurt people in Madrid is with the Champions League final at the Bernabeu, which could potentially be uh, <coughs> Barcelona on you know, enemy turf, but also could have Bayern Munich there with Arjen Robin, which arguably is a player that Madrid, um, Madrid let go, or into Milan with Wesley Snyder. So you know that the two players that, that Madrid did let go to make room for Ronaldo and, uh, and Kaká have uh, arguably gone away and done better things than Madrid. Yeah, but Arjen Robin, you know, he is a great player. I loved watching him when he was at Chelsea, but Jesus, he's made a glass even more than Nick Merger. <laughs> You know, uh, you can't get two consecutive games out of him. And if you do, fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, over a season, he's a very, very expensive player in terms of uh, the number of playing minutes you get from him. OK, well, yeah, Messi scored again. So the, uh, the Messi bandwagon rolls on towards the Champions League, towards another potential, even bigger treble than he got last year, which would be the... Uh, the La Liga again, the Champions League and potentially the World Cup. So um, we'll see how that progresses over the next couple of weeks. But anyway, that's enough for uh, Section 1. We'll be back to look at the news from our website, au.442.com, after the break. The countdown to the 2010 World Cup has begun. So now's the time to start showing support for your team. Kit yourself out in all the latest Socceroos gear from Rebel Sport and get ready for the action to begin. We've got men's and kids away jerseys, shorts, jackets, scarves and wristbands. Socceroos aren't your team? Rebel Sport's got you covered. We've got gear from all your favourite international soccer teams including England, Italy, Brazil and a stack more. Get into Rebel Sport today or shop online at rebelsport.com.au and show your pride on the pitch this season. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast. Now we're going to look at some of the top stories from our uh, website, au.442.com, with the man responsible for a lot of them, Kevin Ayres and Trevor Trahan, deputy editor, to have his say. Top story and, and one of the more interesting stories in what, in what was a big news week around the A-League um, was news that Sydney FC are caught in Robbie Fowler. Um, not clear yet whether we're looking at a marquee position or a, or a position under the cap. Got to be a good move, Trev, you'd say? Well, they've got a whole spine of a team to replace yeah, and a lot of experience to replace. You know, the idea is that you know, it looks like Fowler will, will come in to replace Aloisi and then... Nicky Carl will come in to um, replace Corica, or that you know, so the rumours say. Um, I just kind of assumed that it'll be Fowler in as marquee, and Carl would come in under the cap. But there's now talk that it might be the other way round, which I think is a little bit strange. I, I do rate Nicky Carr, I do like him. I'm not quite sure if he's a marquee. Um, I think Fowler makes sense for Sydney because you know, you know, we know one of their biggest battles is getting bigger crowds. They know there's a big population here. They know there's a potentially big market. So Fowler would, you know, fit the bill. The tendencies did well when he came down with the Fury last season. So 
Will it happen? Um, it, seem, it seems quite likely, and that will leave Fury what, without an owner, without a coach, yeah. without a star player. There'll be in all sorts of trouble. I mean, certainly we know from, from both the website and also the magazine that there are a lot of Liverpool supporters, both in Sydney and in Australia. You know, according to our readership research, they're the best supported English Premier League team amongst our readers. So whether that, that translates, but you'd have to say, Kev, both on and off the pitch, represents a good move for Sydney, you'd say? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it would be without a doubt. I mean, it's the sort of thing that would actually bring a substantial lift in crowds. I think the marquee status thing is purely a, an accounting thing. It's just who they can best put under the salary cap and all the rest of it. Uh, Fowler would be the marquee star, yeah. without a doubt, whether or not he's the big highest paid. Um, what's interesting, though, I thought, was uh, this story coming out of Perth that Tony Sage is actually in England uh, chatting to Fowler as we speak at the moment to try and get him over to Perth Glory, which, of course, would be a huge thing for mm. them too. But uh, given that Ian Ferguson is now the deputy there, it's interesting what uh, what the conversation is going to be about. Uh, it would probably be an even bigger move for him to go to Perth Glory. Uh, Although he's five hours closer to the UK. Yeah. That's an issue. But. Yeah, well, I mean, in the sense of it would be a bigger, yeah. uh, a bigger switch, um, a bigger news story. Um, I think, you know, there's a, a huge expat a fan base in Perth uh, that uh, Fowler would instantly appeal to. And you could see Glory going back up to 18,000 a week easily. Yeah. Uh, it would put extra bums on seats in Sydney, but I don't think it would have the same impact as it would uh, if he was to go to Perth. Well, either way, it looks like Robbie Fowler's going to be here in one way, shape or form next season, which, which from my perspective is only good news for the A-League. Um, Gold Coast, again, another big story that was breaking towards the end of last week um, was, you know, will the Gold Coast be around next season? Uh, early reports said they weren't. That was then rescinded by the club. The fans have apparently uh, had a get-together to talk about next year, so the fans are looking at the, on the bright side. I mean, have we heard any more about this? Do we think the Gold Coast will be around next season? I think it almost certainly will be. Um, I think there was a bit of brinksmanship going on. Uh by both the FFA and uh, Gold Coast United, I think Clive Palmer had a look at uh, the FFA bailing out North and Fury, looked at his own bank balance and thought, wait a minute, I could do with a bit of cash as well, let's uh, push the FFA and see what happens. They called his bluff on it uh, and all of a sudden, nope, there's no mm. danger of it closing down. I mean, Chad, I mean, they to North Queensland or Clive Palmer, this can't come as a surprise. I mean, it's not like there's eight massively profitable clubs, owners swimming around in the money they're making from the A-League. This, you know, losing money in season one must have been in the business plan. So Yeah, I mean, I get the impression Palmer's the sort of person that en enters something like this with an exit strategy. And I think he, he hoped to sort of leverage a lot of the Asian Champions League and ties in Asia and they're now talking about selling some shares to people in China. So, uh, you know, I don't think Palmer will be there forever. You know, he's not an idiot. He's got money for a reason. And it's just slightly unclear at the moment exactly what he plans to do with the Gold Coast. I don't just think it's a little folly for him. I don't, he doesn't strike me as being that football mad and that obsessive about his own club. I get the impression he wants to do something with them. I just don't know exactly what it is. I think the interesting thing will be rather than whether or not Gold Coast United is there next season, it's whether or not Shane Smeltz will be there next season. Mm. If he is a decent World Cup, good offer comes in. They won't turn it down this time. Uh, Palmer will try and recoup some of his lost cash by selling him off to highest bidder. Well, I mean, do we know how long his contract was there? Yeah, it, he was... Because 
arguably, if the club still remains, it's not Shane Smeltz's decision, is it? It's the club's. Oh no! Um, well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's, uh, oh, it's the, 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 the club selling to, yeah. to get some of his money back. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think he's got a, at least a year left in his contract, if not two. Well, I mean, my my saying is for for someone who was on 60 Minutes bragging that Jason Kalina was about the same value as one of the tyres on his truck, that you know he's certainly uh, <laughs> reacting badly to losing six million. I just think yeah. he's getting ripped off on tyres. Yeah, <laughs> they were <laughs> massive. Though, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There weren't the ones that you could sit in and get towed behind the boat. Scott Jameson, going to uh, trial in Germany, um, was young player of the year, season before last. Probably yeah. hasn't reached the heights that he did. A year too late, I think, maybe. Yeah. Should have yeah. gone last season. Had a, a far more mediocre term this, this time. It's, German second division club. I'm not sure how much that'll do for him. I'm sure it's probably got better training methods than most of the A-League clubs. But yeah, probably a year late for him, I think. Yeah, I just don't think he's going to achieve the heights that uh, he probably could have done. Credit for not necessarily the best way to showcase yourself. So it's a strange time to be going as well. That just struck me. You know, it's leaving, just they're going into knockout stages of the Champions, Asian Champions League. And it's coming right to the end of... Uh, well, his contract, European season. his contract's up at the end of the uh, group stage, I think. Uh, and uh, then he's a free agent. Right. Uh, and he's going to come back for the So we think matches. it might be a little bit to force Adelaide's hand to get a new contract out of them? Very possibly, yeah. yeah. Just seemed an odd, odd time for the German team to be holding trials or taking trialists yeah. whilst they're coming to the end of their season. You'd have thought that would have been a sort of June, July sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, staying in Germany, Melbourne Victory have rejected Borussia Dortmund's bid to take Mitch Langerak. Um, says he's denying the 21-year-old a dream move to one of the world's most prestigious leagues. Do you think this smells a little bit of spin, doesn't it? Just, the, I don't know, like the information that they put out and stuff almost felt like they were beating their chest about, you know, to their fans about, oh, we want to hold on to the best players. I mean... It's fair enough, you don't have to sell your players just because you know, they want to go and develop in Europe. If the offer's not good enough, you know, that we shouldn't be handing these players out. But I just think the way that Melbourne went about publicising it felt <laughs> a little bit like, look at us, you know, we're trying to hold on to our best players. But yeah. the truth is, if they up their bid by only a tiny little bit more, he'd probably go. And you can imagine what Mitch is saying, God, you know, please let me go. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's a great move for him anyway, though, to be honest. A 21-year-old going to a big club like that, all he's going to do is get loaned out or sit on a bench or play in reserves. He's not going to get first-team first action, I don't think. Uh, they were just offering 400000 for him. Uh, Euros the, or dollars? Dollars. Right. Um, it's if, really, no, it? it's not. If victory hold on to him for another season or two, he could be worth several times that. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, how good do we think he is? You know, he's broken through. He's been there, you know, reserved for, from the start. He's now broken through. Definitely had a good season. He's been in good form during the Asian Champions League. I mean, is this potentially the long-term successor to Schwarzer? Well, I reckon if the Olympics were tomorrow, you'd have him over Vukovic now. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. And I can't see any other contenders. Uh, so, yeah, you know. But Vukovic was outstanding a couple of years ago. He's... Possibly been shown up by a poor defence, um, but uh, yeah, he's gone off the ball. So you know, it's it's very early days for a keeper at 21. Yeah, but he's I, doing fantastic at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think probably another season in the A League would be good for him. And then look at things; he's still only be 22, which is you know 
as you say, young for a keeper. Um, staying with keepers. Lots of segues today, rather than just random stories. <laughs> yeah. it's like amazing, isn't it? Um, stay with the Glovesman, uh, Adam Federici. The hint is in the name. Um, received a, said he received a surprise approach from the Italian Football Federation, potentially to defect to play for Italy. Now, Italy are not blessed with huge goalkeeping stocks beyond sort of Buffon. Um, so I can sort of understand it. It seems a bit late in the piece, like, given that he's already played for Australia in the Olympics. But. Yeah. It doesn't actually say when this happened. <laughs> yeah, well, could have been about 10 years <laughs> it ago. It could have been, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah. Trev, you're Adam Federici, uh, sitting on the bench for Australia or sitting on the bench for Italy? Which do you take? I, th- I, th- I don't know. I wonder what's going through his mind, I suppose, is the interesting thing. I mean, he's got a great chance of, of uh, replacing Swartzer. Um You'd imagine there'd probably be more Italian goalkeepers that would emerge rather than Australian ones. But, you know, if, it depends how ambitious, ambitious he is. You, know, you can't help but be flatter, can you? Well, I remember Jess Van Stratton played second fiddle to uh, Buffon for a long, long time. Yeah. Didn't really do him much good, did it? <laughs> no, but then again, I suppose you look at someone like Zelko Kalac, who made a... You know, pretty decent career and a decent living, been number two at um, yeah. the land for a while. And it's a cushy job, wasn't it? Who's erratic. I know, but I'm talking financially. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. financially, yeah. But, uh, yeah, career progression. When okay, he... I mean, Federici, do we think he... I mean, I know we're going to have a chat about the overseas Aussies in Section 3, but do we think Federici is assuming for the Socceroos World Cup? I mean, if he's looking at it that short term, do we think he's going to be in the squad? Yeah, I think he probably is. I mean, you know, we've got... Uh, we're not short of keepers, but it's, it's such a fine line between a great keeper and a good keeper. Uh, and I think that's the problem. Schwarzer is a great keeper. He's spoiled with Schwarzer for so many years now as well. My final yeah. replacement's going to be tough. And, you know, Kalic was a, a good keeper, but he was showing up badly when he came on, when he mm. replaced Schwarzer at the last Olympics. So, oh, you know, the num- shadow when I remember that. Oh, I just remember seeing the name on the team <laughs> sheet. I think, why? What the hell? Well, that's got, I mean, that's, on that, that's got to be one of Hiddings. Yeah, that was, that was judgment, absolutely. Um, all right, last story we'll just look at briefly. Um, there's another sort of fringe socceroo, um, Shane Stefanuto, whose uh, season was cut short with uh, with a knee injury. Was playing for Furious, now signed for Brisbane Raw uh, on a three year deal. So it looks like he's close to making a recovery and should be back in the A League next season. This is where the FFA have totally imploded. What a Bunch of idiots. Idiots. There was, a, there was a, almost a bad word slipped out there. What, fools? Fools, <laughs> fools, that's it. No, I mean, you know, taking over Fury, fair enough. Ending all your contracts, you're just going to have your best players cherry-picked by everyone else. David Williams, they were lucky, uh, committed himself to Fury. But as soon as you do that, it's not just a case of getting rid of your deadwood. All the good players are suddenly available to all the other clubs. And well, definitely the good players are going to move quicker than the... Than oh, the Deadwood. Absolutely. No one wants the Deadwood. Yeah, so Fury are only going to get left with the crap that they were trying to get rid of. Because there's, yeah, there's no one else that's going to take them. Uh, and all the good people are free to go anywhere else. It's such a ludicrous move. They really should have honoured all the contracts and stuck with what they've got and uh, tried to force other people out if they didn't, really didn't want them. Uh, it's great for Roar. It's a fantastic pickup for Roar. Um, but, you know. Fury are just creating new, bigger problems for themselves. Mm. They already had a weak squad. It's much, much weaker already. And another new uh, Brisbane Raw recruit, which, which sort of flew under my radar a bit, was um, Costa Barbarousis signing for, mm. for Raw. Now, he's always struck me as 
has been a very tiny little player whenever he's made cameos for Wellington. And I'm, well, I'm surprised, uh, given that he is a Kiwi, that, that Ricky's let him go. But. Yeah, I think it is a case of um, he wanted match time. Yeah. Uh, and of course, with the no NYL team, uh, the only way he was going to go was to come over to the mainland. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether he can do it you know, on a consistent basis, but certainly he's always uh, been lively when he's come on. It has always been on the basis of a cameo, so... Yeah. All right, well, that'll do us for uh, section two. We're going to come back in in next part and look at the Socceroos overseas. Uh, are we concerned by the lack of game time or lack of fitness? And we'll have a quick early chat about whether we think there'll be any surprise inclusions in PIM's squad. Join us after the break. The new issue of 442 is on sale now. This month, we take a look at the toughest job in football in our special Strikers edition. There are exclusive interviews with Premier League hotshots Wayne Rooney and Fernando Torres, Socceroos frontmen Harry Kuehl and Josh Kennedy, as well as last season's Bundesliga top scorer Graffite and Man United legend Andy Cole. We also take a look at the changing role of the striker, look at the mad season when Romario and Stoichkov ruled Barca, and get a look at the new Socceroos away kit with Jason Kalina. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now. Back to 442 Insider. Hello, and welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast. Uh, now we're headed into section three where we're going to start casting our gaze towards the World Cup. Uh, and more specifically, the Socceroos World Cup squad. Now, there's been a lot of, quite rightly, uh, conjecture about the state of the Socceroos squad at the moment. A lot of first-choice players are are either not playing regularly or are injured. Um, Trev, what's your take on this so far? Or should we be concerned? Um, I mean, I suppose so. When you look at our starting eleven, and I don't think it's that hard to name, really, other than who will play the, the one man up front, we've got a fair idea of our starting eleven. You could probably name half of them that have had a season disrupted through injury or just, you know, not being selected in and out of teams, losing clubs, etc., etc. You know, what we, you know, it's interesting to discuss. Are they going to be coming in fresh, or yeah. are they going to come in? you know, short of match fitness, you know, that's kind of a case-by-case discussion, I think, because if you look at Kuehl, I'm quite happy for him to come back in now, get a few games, a few warm-up games into the World Cup, and then I think he'll go into the group stages in reasonable fitness. And also, he's a guy that keeps reasonably fit, doesn't he? Doesn't, I don't think he's going to need ages to get back into, you know, being fit enough. But other players like, in, you know, Bresciano, who I, who I don't think is going to start the World Cup now, um, I think Emerson will have that place in that midfield three and, and Kuehl will go up front. You know, he's been out of a back injury the majority of the season. You know, he's just been absent from the squads and, you know, he's an important player for us, even if he is just coming off the bench. And I think it's a worry how much game time he's had. Kev, where do you sit on that? Do you think, you know, someone like Harry was in sparkling form before he got injured? Has had a decent layoff? Conflicting reports about how close he is to being back to full fitness. Um, you know, do you, are you sort of a fan of the fact that they might come back fresher having not played all those games or do you think that it's better having those games under your belt? I would rather have seen him play all this year uh, just so we know that you know he is in peak fitness. But having said that, he has got a history of coming back from illness and putting in s- superb efforts uh, when perhaps you might least expect it. What I am concerned about though is his stamina to make it through the entire uh, World Cup campaign. Uh, 2006 he only made it through the group stages and 
remember who turned up in crutches for the uh, the Italy game. Um, and that's a worry, you know. Yeah. I can see that happening again, to be honest, because it's not the same injury that knocked him out at the beginning of the year that's keeping him out now. It's a separate injury. And these just niggling things eat away at him. Uh, and, it, yeah, it's a concern. We spoke to uh, his camp back in February when you know the uh, the injury first cropped up, and they swore blind that he was going to be back training within two weeks. Back then, uh, well, he said the second leg of the Europa League, which was oh god, you know, well over a month ago now. So yeah. he's, he's behind. He, he was going to be back training uh, in two weeks then, and then was going to be back playing by the middle of March. Trev, uh, your pin for Bake. Harry makes himself available, having not played a game. Between now and the end of the season, yep. do you take him? Do you trust him on his word that he's fit? I, I, I think with Harry, yeah, because I think he's got the pedigree, of, you know, the quality and the fitness to get himself up to a, le- a level that he needs to be, you know, for the opening game. And given what you, given what we've just been talking about, Kev, do you see potentially a change in role for him at the World Cup? Maybe he's an impact player off the bench, not doing the. The, the first 60 minutes and potentially coming in where the game's a bit stretched? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always said that the one thing that really made me realise what a genius goose was, was apart from the Kalich thing, was uh, in that qualifier against Uruguay when he brought Kuhl off the bench after 30 minutes. Yeah. He knew Kuhl had an hour in him yeah. and he played it for the final hour when we really needed him. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was genius. Whether Verbeek would do something like that, I don't know. Um, I, think, I think if he's fit, he'll start. Uh, we need him that way. Uh, he's a, a mascot as well as a, a key yeah. player. You know, he lifts everybody, and it, you know you see that in training as well. He's always smiling. He's all. He is always in. Uh, he's in, also one of those players that even half fit the opposition. No, they can't take any liberties with him. Exactly. You know, and yeah. So they they can't rest when they know that he's on that left side. Yeah. And, yeah. He always gets draws two defenders. You know, uh, which always frees up somebody else. Uh, yeah. Um, the other big question mark, um, probably the biggest question mark for me, is uh, who is going to partner Lucas Neal at the back? Um, we've seen Patrick Kisnorbo's season ended, unfortunately, with a with an injury when he was probably looking in pole position, having a good season with Leeds, which is pointing towards the fact that we'll probably end up starting with Craig Moore. True. That, that looks the most likely. I, I'm equally nervous about that. In terms of, I, I still think Moore will start, actually. In, in terms of contenders, um, we know Pim's been over to Japan to, to see Milligan, and I think if Colosimo's in with a chance as well, but I'd imagine he'd probably be behind both Milligan and Moore. But yeah, I think Moore's going to start, and I'm not overly happy about this. I said this before, Lucas isn't the quickest of players. I wouldn't mind a little bit of an inj- injection of pace about someone who might better recover if there's a mistake or a ball goes over the top. Yeah, I thought Kisnaibo was the ideal player before the injury and at the beginning of the season I was convinced that Spranovic was going to have a better year and he was going to make the, the start in 11 but now I think we're stuck with more which leaves us pretty nervous Kev who would your choice be if you're wouldn't if you're be Moore wouldn't be Moore at all I mean uh, you know he's, he's a stalwart he's a great trooper but his day's passed now he's shown up you know in the A-League for speed uh, he'd be embarrassed in the, the World Cup um, my personal favourite is always Milligan I think he's a great defender. I think he's got huge potential. Uh, Spranovic is also very good, um, but nah, I mean, Milligan would probably be my backup after Kisnoba. The long throws as well? He, an extra like stoke, key thing. Oh, yeah. No, that's no? a stoke of the World Cup. How, how many did, I don't know if you saw the Wolves Stoke game. 
I've never seen so many. And how long so does many. it take to take them? Oh, That's the thing. I mean, does it be shirtony and it's like, oh, it's like, you know, it's like when someone orders the birthday fries. Like things go up, yeah. people appear from everywhere with towels, and surely, it, you know, if that if that was if that was like in the, in the injury time and they were in front, surely there's got to be a case for a booking there for time wasted. Have you anyway, seen the, the put, fake advertising home. boards that some Premiership teams have put? West Ham did it and Burnley did it originally. Basically, we, we put stop him yeah we moved Seriously. yeah we moved our advertising board. We still had original advertising boards, but we put up temporary advertising boards as close to the line <laughs> as is legally allowed by the Premiership <laughs> to stop him doing. And he kind of had to you know rather than running up directly to the line, he had to kind of run up. Take a diagonal. Yeah, an angle. So sort of going along the side and then throwing it in. But I mean that's bizarre, isn't it? You know, having to do that. <laughs> Now I'm going to get another little segue in talking about Mark Milligan. Because obviously Milligan was the surprise inclusion in 2006. <laughs> and the, the early, you know, was he one of the two A-League players? One A-League player? Uh, Beecham? Did Beecham go as well? Beecham yes, went, yeah. yeah he, so he was certainly the other players. surprise, wasn't yeah. he? Um, on that, is it going to be a similar, I won't say token gesture, but do we see There's beyond Kalina, do we see a, any other A-League players getting a look in? Well, I think Losmo is probably the, the most likely of all the A-League players to get a look in. Don't think Galekovic is out of it? I think Galekovic should be there. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think actually he probably will be there, to be honest. I think he'd be the most likely third goalkeeper choice. Uh, Petkovic is very good, obviously, Michael Petkovic. But I would take Galekovic. Trev, any, any A-League bolters or young players that you think are going to be surprise inclusions? No, I don't think so. I think there'd probably need to be some injuries for that to happen. But, I mean, Heffernan, I think, would need a left-back injury. and need Chipperfield or Carney to go out to to even have a chance. And then they might look to, you know, put Wilkshire over there instead. So, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think this is a surprise inclusion, but I think Reese williams will definitely go in terms of playing. Oh, my, my I mean, to be fair, I, I think he would probably be my... Preferred starter at centre half. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's been playing defensive he's got midfield all season. He's got but... the defensive nice. Yeah, um, he's played but... full back, centre back, centre midfield. I'd rather use him at right back and push Brett Everton's right. right but then, where'd you put Wiltshire? Left, left side. Left back instead, instead of, of Chipperfield. No. Instead of Kill. I haven't really thought this through. <laughs> I can tell you wanted out of that conversation. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to put my neck on the line. I think there's going to be a surprise inclusion, and I think it's going to be Tommy Orr. Ooh. I've just I got a feeling. I've just got a feeling with all this injury cloud over Kuehl, I think he's going to want to take someone who's got a bit of something that no one knows about. He's got pace, no fear. Might end up being a bit of a Theo Walcott for England. But, play, yeah. but I, I've just got a sneaking feeling that He's going to include him. If we were drawing on the squad list, I think we probably would include him. But I remember Verbeek's reaction when he was asked about this, and he was just so disparaging. It's like, yeah, he's had two good games. I'm not going to take him to the World Cup. Um, he just didn't was very down on the whole idea. Well, we'll see. I, on, I, th- I think it's a solid idea. I though. believe if we've got the space, yeah. I believe the way that it's going to work is May the 11th is an announcement of a squad of 30. 30, yeah. No, that no, then no. gets culled to 24. Right. And they travel then to South Africa and start training for a week before they move to their actual FIFA camp. And it's only it's later than I thought it was. I thought it was a month before, but they can still, um, even after they've named the squad, 
if someone gets injured in training up until 24 hours before their first game, they can replace them. So you say 24, so one can, because it's 23, isn't it? They're going to take an extra player, as I understand it, to South Africa to acclimatise, because right. they're going to be training at altitude to prepare for Rustenburg games and all that. So they're actually going to take 24 players and then cull it to 23 mm. on the FIFA deadline. Do you still deadline. get to hang around? Do you still get to watch the World Cup? Well, yeah, I think it's because, the, because they, can still, they could still come into play if someone pulled up or got injured during the... the the formal training or the warm-up games. Mm. So, um, the other question mark obviously is over the keepers. So, who do we think the three keepers would be? Schwartz is a given. We've we've just said Federici. We think is there. One so more, we see Galekovic ahead of Petkovic. I put Galekovic ahead of Petkovic. Yeah. yeah. Jones hasn't really played enough games this season. Yeah. He's, he's, he's done very well actually recently. He's back in the team yeah, now, he's, isn't he? He's established now and he's he's done not a bad job. But I still don't. I think he's a long way off Galekovic personally, and certainly Petkovic. Um, I think Petkovic's day is beaten and gone, and Glekovic has potential as being a number two in the future. So. One, one final thing that I thought would be interesting to discuss, what about Scott McDonald? You know, is he going to go? He's got a couple of goals, got a couple of injuries. Well, uh, Handberger seems, his patience seemed to run out with McDonald, but you know, he's not speaking for for beak, but I would be surprised if they hadn't talked about it. Um, he just seemed to think that McDonald had been given enough chances uh, and fail to shine. I think we'd have to take him because we just don't have the striking mm, stops, exactly, yeah. uh, alternatives. We we spoke to Pim for the upcoming World Cup issue you were talking about earlier, and when he was going through different options, it was, you know, quite interesting to hear what he was saying. And he mentioned Gita a few times, so you get the impression that Gita is very much higher up than McDonald in, in the in the pecking list. And, when, well, That's kind of harsh, though, when you think about it. I mean, McDonald is still, I mean, still really playing like, every week. I mean, the, the other player that, scoring that's, goals. Gita is struggling um, to get any game time. Would be Rukovica. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's got he's, pace. He's you know, he's strong. Um, is he a is he an outside shot? I think he he would be a uh, worthy inclusion of the squad, but whether or not he would be the first team choice. Mm. Uh, Richard, but, you know. I don't know what a first team choice is for a striker, to be honest. Richard Garcia, is he going to go? Another person floating around a few games in the Premier League. Well, no, we should probably try and draw up our 23. He's another person that is playing now back consistently in the Premier League. You know, you've got to say, when we're talking about, you know, fringe players here and players going to German second division or Japanese, we, we've got players that are in and around Premier League squads and, and teams that surely that's got to be higher. Who, who do you take out of Rukovitsa and Gito? Rukovic. I'll take Rukovic. And I like, I really yep. like GT. Yeah, but I think so. Yep, I think so. it's Yeah, I just think. But I don't think it'll be that way around. I think Pim will go the other way around. Okay, well, it's going to be an interesting, what have we got? Two months till kickoff. Um, so, yeah, I reckon next week we'll probably have a, a go at um, naming our 23. See if we can argue about it as much as we did the awards. But anyway, <laughs> time for our last break. Then we'll be back for the final segment where we're going to preview this weekend's potentially decisive Premier League clashes. The countdown to the 2010 World Cup has begun. So now's the time to start showing support for your team. Kit yourself out in all the latest Socceroos gear from Rebel Sport and get ready for the action to begin. We've got men's and kids away jerseys, shorts, jackets, scarves and wristbands. Socceroos aren't your team? Rebel Sport's got you covered. We've got gear from all your favourite international soccer teams including England, Italy, Brazil and a stack more. Get into Rebel Sport today or shop online at rebelsport.com.au and show your pride on the pitch this season. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider.
Welcome back to the final part of this week's 442 Insider Podcast. We're going to head back to Europe now and preview this weekend's decisive, possibly, uh, clashes in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, the big, big two games probably would be Man City versus Man United and Tottenham versus Chelsea, because you'd probably say if Man United lose at Man City and Chelsea win, you'd, you'd probably nail on. I think the bookies would stop taking bets on Chelsea at that point, Kev. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it was Chelsea's title was there to lose, basically. Uh, it's interesting. City. Yeah, I mean, it's two fixtures that might decide the Premiership and the top four, you know, all at the same time. I, I think City, have, even though Tottenham got a great result of an Arsenal, um, they've got a far harder run in. Yeah, I, th- I think City is still locked in favourites, and I, I, th- I think they'll certainly get something out of that United game and I think Rooney might come back but it might be a little bit like the buying game when he come back when it wasn't really Rooney it was Rooney light if you like so um, yeah I think City will win that Can we hope for a repeat of arguably the game of the season so far the 4-3 at Old Trafford um, Yeah it could be a classic I, I, I think City are going to dominate here the, I think uh, the weaknesses in Fergie's strategy this season are really being shown up badly. You know, they've got his core side is very old. Uh, the the young guns that he's brought in don't have the skill, the skill level to replace the the players that uh, they're coming in for. Um, meanwhile, City all out attack again. You know, they had about four. I would have called strikers yeah. in the field at one stage last week. That, that sort it, of Johnson, was, Bellamy, Tevez, Adebayo is scary. Which sort of raises the question, you know, with the personnel that they've got, is it down to Mancini or would Mark Hughes still be getting the results that they're getting? You know, Mancini came in, had a bit of an easy ride at the start. They had some very easy fixtures. They won a couple of games. Then they went into a similar sort of run that they had under Hughes, drawing games where they probably should have won. And now they're scoring goals. But that's coincided with, you know, Fielding and Adebayor, Tevez and... And yeah, Bellamy. but I think the thing is that with um, uh, Mancini, the players will have that confidence that they can do it, that he will lead them uh, to victory. Is it a scarf? Is it, is it, it, it is a scarf, and the grey hair, and, and the, <laughs> you know the very eighties hairstyle as well. Yeah. Um, it's classic football manager stuff. Uh, whereas with Mark Hughes, it was brawn and bluster. Uh, I think you know, and uh, it was faith that was getting them the results. Uh, as well as skill, yeah. the, the individual player skill. But as far as management is concerned, it was just a case of, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll trust you, we'll go with it. I, I think a defining game was when City went to Chelsea and won 4 2. I don't think they would have done that under Hughes, and I think it was the Mancini effect that got them that, that kind of result, winning big games like that. And it's another big game this weekend that I think they'll win. Yeah, I mean, it seems, you know, and I, I, I bring this up because obviously Carlos Tevez has, has at a really odd time and, and come out and said, you know, that it's not Mancini that's made him you know, go on this run of form. But then in the same breath, he then says that I've now been asked to play in this free role, which suits me better. It's like, well, is that Mancini that's done that? And put it's his, tra- it's uh, Tevez's attitude to training as well. He really hates training. Rio yeah. Ferdinand was saying how much he uh, slacked off at United. And then he, uh, Tevez himself came out and said, no, Mancini works me far too hard at training. Yeah, he's finding he, about two, two training sessions a day. Yeah, yeah. Eating into his Xbox time. It's almost like he's a professional footballer. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have much else to do. Um, down the bottom, Burnley travel to Sunderland. That's where it's all happening. Down Cole travel to Birmingham. So, you, two tough away games. 
Mind you, West Ham then travel to Liverpool on Monday. It's not going to be easy. I, I, I think in the West Ham Liverpool game, we won't get thrashed. I think we'll just lose because well, Liverpool the, haven't thrashed anyone, so, so that's no. pretty odd. Time. 1963, the last time we won at Anfield, but they've got the Europa League coming up soon after that. I'm not sure if Torres is going to be back. He'll certainly be back in the country, but I'm not sure if, if they'll bother risking him, seeing as it's only West Ham at home and they've got the Europa League you know, a few days later. Yeah, I reckon you've got your best chance. Uh, of Since 1963, yeah, probably. I mean, a point uh, would be a fantastic you, I, result. I think you could actually scrape a win there, to be honest. I think, don't think Liverpool are going to be fighting for the league position mm. anymore. Uh, Wigan hosted Arsenal as well. I mean, there, there, there's also the, the potential that, that all four of those sides down the bottom that will probably make up the last two relegation spots could all lose, um, which could see the, you know, the teams just above them. That You'd probably say Sunderland and above are safe now. Yeah, um, but that, Wolves and Bolton are probably one more win away from breathing a little bit easier. Stoke, that four and Bolton. five point cushion between Burnley and West Ham and Wigan, I think, is enough. Uh, it's going to see them through. Yeah, we see we've reached the point of the season. We were chatting off air, and, and four games to go, five games to go for a few sides. But Trev, with dual hats on, English and Aussie, are we watching these Premier League games now? Just praying that. Key players don't get injured. Yep, and you, you see him go down, and you're like, oh, is it one they're just going to limp, or is it the end of the World Cup? Yeah, you, you're holding your breath on you, but it happens every four years. Um, and a lot of these players, I mean, especially someone like Cahill, he plays in a certain way, doesn't he? And yeah. I wouldn't expect him to, to sort of slow down anymore um, going into the last few games. Same with Rooney as well for England fans. Okay, I mean, Everton, you know, have, have again snuck back up there. You know, had they won that game this morning against Villa, they would have gone within a point of Villa. Yeah. Um, they had a dreadful start to the season. Um, obviously missed key players through injury. Probably had one of the worst injury lists of any team, but Moyes has gotten back up there again and still in a shout of potentially finishing in the Europa League play. Yeah, I mean, it's an astonishing comeback because they were looking really, really poor uh, from a lot of the early part of the season. Um, and it's great that, you know, to see them uh, come back up again. But it, there is a gulf. I mean, you can split that league table into about three or four different sections. And they're in the third section, without a doubt. Uh, which, you know, for a, Europe, a, a place in Europe to be in the third league of your own league is, isn't really worthwhile, you would think. Uh, yeah. They've got to do better, obviously, next season. And obviously next season they'll be joined by confirmed now Newcastle and West Brom. So West Brom continue their yo-yo, their up and down between the Premier League and, and, the, and the Championship. Now, I mean, that's an interesting model which we just talked about. You know, when we talk about a lot of teams like Portsmouth um, that have sort of gone for it and been found wanting. West Brom have, have not followed that model. They've been up and down. Um, they've said that they won't break you know, their, their rigid sort of financial management. And I guess is how it, did that work out for them the last time in the Premier League? Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't. They didn't risk the house. I think that's what they're saying is that they've come up. They'll take the Premier League money. They'll yeah, go they'll, down. They'll take the parachute money, but, and they'll keep running a successful solvent club. The, you know, the important word being solvent. And yeah, but I mean, what's? I just don't see much point in that. If you're going to get into the Premier League. Make a play for it. Try and stay up there. Yeah. They stay up. You know they'll be solvent long term, not of such a short term view. Like we'll take the money and run, basically, mm. which is what they've done. You know, what's the living points they got last year, last time they were up. What would you prefer, Trev? Well, uh, pertinent point. West Ham fan. Yeah, West Ham have been a little bit like that, and I think when when we came up, we took the opposite approach. We risked. We yeah. spent a little bit of money, and it was great because we made the FA Cup final and we were ninth, and then we we're in Europe, and you're thinking, oh, this is great. 
and then it all go, all goes wrong and all of a sudden you're in massive debt and I don't know as, as fans sometimes they don't think of you know as pro pragmatically as that they just think you know I want to see the best players I don't want to see us embarrassed for another season but that that's the current climate isn't it you know we've seen what happens at Portsmouth but let me put something different to you you know West Brom are never going to win the Premier League yeah arguably it would take them it would take a oil shake to take them out to win the Premier League if you're only going to be would you prefer as a fan to finish 14th or 15th in the Premier League than then go down and, and Win promotion, win the championship, come back up, see your team winning games and then go up and then potentially no. have the heartbreak of going down again. But if you see how, I, I would have thought that the West Brom fans might have been a bit jaded by it all that. Oh yeah, we're back up in the Premier League again. But you see them, they're going nuts again. They're having a great day. Yeah. You know, and you sort of think, do you, would you want to be mediocre in the Premier League long term like Bolton or do you want to have a bit of, so yeah, oh God, we've gone down again, but... We're back up again, you know, it's like we're top of the league, we're vying for promotion, we've won something maybe. What do you think yeah. Leeds United's fans feel? Well, yeah, they do, but they're doing their best to throw it away, you know, they're not... They're not yeah, no, but I mean, they've gone through that roller coaster. I'm sure yeah. they would rather just be a Premier League side and travelling along quite nicely in the middle of the league. I, I hate it when West Ham were down and, you know, we were going away to places like Rotherham and stuff like that, it's an awful trip and it's just a terrible time. But then, you know, when we won the playoff final, you know, seeing... West Ham actually win something at probably the best stadium I've ever been to in my life, Cardiff Millennium Stadium. You thought, oh yeah, it's all yeah. been worth it. It's just a roller coaster ride of supporting the team, isn't yeah. it? Well, I can remember when Villa went down. I think it was 84, 85, like, you know, two years after we'd won the European Cup. And it was a god awful place. Villa Park was, there were fans fighting amongst themselves. And it was dreadful. Then the following season, back in the old second division, was fantastic. You know, they started playing, Graham Taylor came, they started playing decent football again. Crowds were bigger than we had in the first division the year before, and all of a sudden there was a massive buzz about the place, mm. and we had to go down to get that momentum back to then come up, and then you know. Yeah, but if you hadn't gone down, if you hadn't been in the position where you were about to go down, would you have lost that uh, buzz around the ground anyway? If you had been travelling along quite happily, mid to top ten. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting. You, you, you would have, you would have had still the people. Thickle, they, Obviously, fans. not every, not every team can win the Premier League, and we've got four leagues in England that have all got supporters. So, um, so there must be other motivations other than winning the Premier League to keep people interested in their clubs. So, hmm. um, anyway, that's all we've got time for. Thanks a lot for joining us. Um, Paul Hansford will be back in the hot seat next week, I'm sure, and uh, we'll put the finishing touches to our World Cup magazine. Um, which will be on the shelves on May the 5th. But until then, you can keep up to date with everything in Australian international football at our website, au.442.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.